All right, welcome everybody to a very special episode. Today we have Mr. Joey Warnaker in the house. Hello. Thank you for joining us, or I should say, thank you for letting us join you. Ah, in this. you're welcome. Thank you for letting me be part of your thing. The Hustle Sanctuary. The Hustle shank- Sanctuary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, this is cool. So, is this the fir- first podcast you've done in your studio, by the way? This is the second podcast I've done in my studio. Oh, shit, man. I wanted to be first. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Wait, this is the first podcast I've done in my studio. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> With editing, we'll like, make all that work. Yeah, this is, the, this is, this is it. Um... Okay, so so talk to us, you know, with without further ado, let's just jump right in. Okay. Talk to us about, you know, where you grew up uh-huh. and um, you know, what was what was little Joey like and and when did you dis- <laughs> when did you discover that you had this gift and this love for um, you know, music and drumming? Um, well, I grew up uh I grew up in Los Angeles like uh, mostly on the west side like uh I guess I guess what's what's now like the Pacific Palisades. So it's always been kind of a you know extremely nice place or whatever, like wealthy enclave. But I think when I was growing up, it was maybe a little more like humble than it is now. Now it seems like it's super exclusive. I'm always freaked out when I go there, and like when I go back to where I grew up, and like none of the houses that were there or very few of the houses that were there including the one I grew up in are still that like they've been knocked down and giant houses have been built Hmm. in their place but anyway um so yeah this kind of bucolic like near the beach and really you know like you know riding skateboards and bikes and um roaming around a neighborhood by myself with my little friends kind of pretty amazing like perfect childhood in in many ways that's awesome surfing (laughs) surfing eventually some people even went like pro i loved it and i was it was fun but i i was never i was like the least advanced i was always sort of more 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 um a little more cautious i guess i mean i was always interested in drums and then by the time i was probably I want to say seven, maybe I was making drum sets out of like pillows or pots and pans kind of thing and playing along to uh, Kiss Records until my mom finally um, bought me a drum set when I was probably like eight or nine, something like that. And uh, and my uncle was is a drummer and he gave me some initial lessons. That week I learned Led Zeppelin four top to bottom. And that was the beginning of my sort of, you know, whatever, lifelong journey. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I'm imagining once that, like, you got bit by by the drum bug and you got that kit, like, were you skipping going out as a kid and being with friends? Were you just, like, more interested in just, like, playing drums at that point, or...? Um, no, I think I was, I, I didn't skip it, but, uh... I I definitely spent a lot of my time like you know doing that and I think uh um I eventually w- like gave up uh skateboarding and and surfing because that was clearly it was like 
either I'm going to do that or play music and playing music was, you know, but that's like, that was more like 12, 13. Was your family supportive? I thought I read somewhere like when you wanted to pursue drumming, like your uh-huh. family wasn't exactly like stoked on that or something. Oh no, my, my family was always like very supportive. I mean, <clears throat> the, the, this, there was a subtle thing that happened where my dad was, you know, he's in the music business in a big way. And like, you know, I think he was always supportive, but at some points he had said, you know, like, you, you know, probably jokingly, like, you know, musicians or drummers or, or something, you know, or that's that's a tough road or like those those dudes are can be trouble or something like, <laughs> yeah. you know, st- stuff like that. But I mean, when it came to it, like he brought me to the studio and, you know, some of my formative experiences that I still like some of my clearest memories and I consider myself to have kind of like a foggy memory in general but like I remember being a a little kid like you know 11 11 to 13 and being going getting to go to the studio with my dad and like the drummers he was using became my heroes and they Mm. were these sort of like elite studio drummers of the time like Jeff Beccaro and Steve Gadd and I would they were very, you know, sweet and generous and would like let me sit in the drum booth and I would just and I remember everything about those experiences like like as if it were yesterday. It's and, amazing. And still carry a lot of it out like you know, I I think I learned how to tune drums more from like watching Steve Gadd and more and more so Jeff Beccaro than like anything else. I remember <clears throat> the kind of tissue yeah that and tape that were used to dampen the drums and you know how he i watched how he tuned it like the pattern that he you know moved from the areas of the drum to tune Hmm. and how he was doing it the whole thing i remember it and and uh and spent years obsessively kind of researching what i had watched um to make sure that you know, I, I had a better understanding of what he was doing, but, you know, like I said, to this day, I, rem- I remember it as if it were, you know, yesterday's. I can't remember anything that even happened yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you eat for breakfast, John? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have a mentor per se, you know, uh-huh. did when you were coming up, like if I had to say like, one guy was one guy a mentor to you yeah i had my uncle who was you know my sort of teacher and spent so much time with me and was really you know um instrumental for me like you know so he was like a big figure he would be like the mentor in my life and then you know then i had these you know, brief but extremely impactful encounters with uh, the studio drummer, the uh, like the studio drummers like Jeff Beccaro and Steve Gadd, which were, um, you know, like you know, extremely important, and I looked up to them. And those those brief encounters were, um, you know, pretty pretty impactful, I would say. So talk to us about, you know, the, the value of mentorship is that, do you feel like that's extremely important? I can sp- speak from my, my 
my bubble, <laughs> my personal experience was that, I mean, ultimately, like, whatever was going on in my, f whatever, like, bad stuff or dysfunction in my childhood and family, like, I was always encouraged to be creative and I had my uncle and my dad took me to the studio and I had these experiences with these drummers and and um so there was definitely mentorship and encouragement that kind of gave me the uh the uh you, you know I don't know if it just inspired me or if there was more you know maybe I was also encouraged well no I know that I was encouraged because like Steve they would let me Jeff Picaro would like tell me to play his drums and I would play them and even though I was left-handed I would figure out how to play his drums backwards and everyone you know I'd suddenly be jamming with like Michael McDonald or whatever <laughs> and everyone's like that's ins that's, that's a good confidence booster right totally yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. insane um, that that kid can actually play so that must have I know that I would hear that resonating in my psyche somewhere like through my life like hmm. when things got taught when there was like you know a dumb band teacher when I was a teenager it was like you know you, you're not good enough or whatever like I'd be like um, I was jamming with like the cats the A-listers and when I was like a little kid and they were stoked and and yeah. then I play like I got to play on a song where there was like military snare drum. Jeff was like, "We gotta let Joey play the snare drum," because you know we're all playing together. But I could follow them when I was a f little tiny kid. So. What was the first record that you ever ever drummed on? Like I think it's the Randy Newman. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I Love L.A., but I'd have to fact check it. Wow, you could fact check it. We're gonna fact check. We'll we'll cue it up with the notes after the show. I think that's it's, pretty amazing. I think I'm credited. Let's pick up the storyline. So, and then ultimately you find your way into Beck's band, right? At some point, I know you said you were in your teens when you joined Beck, right? No, like I was like in my late twenties or my uh, like early twenties. Early twenties, okay. Early twenties, but um, um, no, but I mean, like I was, I guess the first. The first, I realized that, that I was drumming professionally from, I guess, age 14. Mm. Like, you know, I was, you know, playing gigs and making like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a week, which for a 14-year-old kid living with, you know, like well-off family, that was, I was like, you know, I was loaded. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and you know that was I mean I tried to have like jobs when I was a kid but I was like I don't jobs like working at like an ice cream shop or exactly something like that. Yeah. I had I worked at an ice cream shop <laughs> <laughs> but it was like I don't need this job or like it's getting in the way of me like playing these gigs yeah and I just did that through high school and it didn't I never really took it seriously but you know I, I mean well, it's That's cool because you did come up in a family where, you know, your dad was successful in the music business, right? So it's like you you already, like, kind of came up around what was possible, I guess, right? Um, I think, like, for somebody growing up in, like, Wisconsin or something, you know, who didn't maybe come up with, 
just being around the music business and seeing yeah. that it was possible. Does that make sense? I think there was almost like a, um, like a ta- tacitly thought that these things, and then he was, he, my father was, you know, encouraging. My, my dad likes to tell the story of how I came to him when I was 14 and said, dad, I want to join this band and we have to go see them play. A, I have to go see them play a gig to, you know, to check it out. And my dad, you know, his instinct was to say, like, you're not joining a band and playing gigs. That's ridiculous. But he took me to see the band at this, you know, club in like East Hollywood. It was, you know, couldn't believe he was doing it. And like, he should have just said no. And then we get there and, um, it's this Western swing band, which is like music from, it's like his childhood, like not like a punk band or anything like that. It was, he was, and they were all in like perfect costumes and playing the original instruments. And he was like thrilled. It's like, Oh, sure. You can join this band. That's great. I'll come to every show. And this is amazing. (laughs) That's awesome. He was like, the nightmare would have been like like a Guns N' Roses show, like you know, right, like a hair metal band <laughs> right, yeah. or a punk band, yeah, drugs or... all littered all over the stage, like exactly. he, like he, yeah, yeah. Th- that's kind of what, <laughs> right? Exactly. I guess the only downside that people have pointed out to me, and that is true, is that uh, there's a little bit of a stigma, you know. Of course, like your dad's like in the successful in the music business, and you want to be a musician, and that's that's great. But then suddenly you have the whole the whole thing of like being, you know, competing with your dad in a weird way or feeling like sitting in a very large shadow. You're standing in a right. very large shadow. So there exactly. we go. We, we did it. We got to some adversity. Joey. Oh, yeah. Adversity. I know. <laughs> there we go. I don't ha- it's like I don't have great <laughs> adversity. What were you feeling, I guess? Well, when that thought hit you, like I'm standing in a large shadow and. Uh. Yeah, I, I um, as I got older and I was, you know, doing the gigs but then suddenly feeling that like pressure of like wait a minute like if i'm playing gigs like this like and my dad's over here and i'm in this i'm in this massive shadow like what does it mean or what am i supposed to do or you know like people you know and then people say things like you know you're whatever you have a silver spoon in your mouth or you know there's nepotism like what they discredit your talent because of that yeah, sometimes, there's, right? There, and there's a, there's a lot of that. And th- there was also like people, people somehow it, it filtered in that there was like a weird sort of subtle pressure. Like, well, you know, your dad's in the music business. Like you should be in the music business. You should be like behind a desk, behind yeah. a desk, like making yeah. money, not like hmm. being like the little guy out there, like playing playing drums. You weren't even the front man. No. They yeah, I'm not even the front man. But, and the idea of being a front man is even more terrifying because that's right. like, whoa, the fear of failure in that shadow is, is suddenly accentuated. Or certainly in my childhood where like there, I feel like there was just a lot of expectation. That's like the dark side of LA too. Like crappy values of like, you're only as good as how successful you are. How, your last hit. Your last hit and how, you know, whatever how good you look or how many if you're a dude how many like hot girls you have or all that stuff the front man or whatever yeah it's like 
as a drummer, it really doesn't matter how old you are. Like you said, you were drumming when you were 14, right? In somebody's band. Like, yeah. you could be like 60 and be drum. I mean, it just, it doesn't phase you as much if you're the front man, right? Yeah. And then also, like, if if you're like the front man, you know, people can kind of grow tired of you or whatever. If you're, It happens, right? People sure. just kind of get burnt out on a band. and Sure. It's cool that you could sort of, you're like, you know, Canada or Switzerland or something. I guess I went on a little journey to figure out that I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. You know, and I think just by my father being, you know, as successful as he And for the was, listeners, I thought yeah. he, he ran Warner for a time, yeah, right? He, yeah, he ran Warner Brothers. So I was like, you know, what leader, what leadership thing am I going to do? Like, I have to figure out how to, you know, live up to that. I think in, it, that, in those days, I, there was a lot of talk about, you know, like, Oh my goodness! This this could be the first generation in a long time where kids are not as successful as their parents. This is really bad, as if that's something that's really bad. That was like, you know, sort of a mid late '80s topic. Like, you know, the baby boomers were so much more successful than their parents, and now, you know, now the next generation is like Generation X. And I definitely grew up in the. There was like a lot of media when I was, you know like in my late teens that was like this is the apathetic generation that you know basically is the, these are like kids kids these days <laughs> these are the worst kids ever basically <laughs> yeah right i just remember like the plaid the despondency right like plaid t-shirts cigarettes like sitting in a corner basically like kurt cobain was like yes that embodiment yeah basically yeah you and, know and i just felt like the media certainly, like, you know, didn't, you know, of course, I'm sure there's some, they're not making it up, but they certainly, they certainly, like, made more out of it. And then, you know, and there were, there were, there was, uh, there was Slackers, there was the movie Slackers that came out that was, you know, like, <laughs> but, and it was funny, and as a kid, I always resented that, because I'm like, hey, wait a minute, like, me and my friends, we want to work hard and we want to speak out against things we don't believe in. And there was plenty of stuff in the 80s to not believe in, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. And um, like today, maybe not nearly as bad, but pretty bad. We were like, wait, why is this? Why are there like big news articles about how like lame our generation is? This, this is, this is, this is terrible. Like, so I went, I went on this journey to kind of find who what I really wanted to do because I because of living in my father's shadow back to that um it's like wait wh what kind of a leader am I going to be if my dad's a leader like I have to be don't I have to be a leader and, and at so, what age did you start to question this or start to realize this 18 I would say and then and so I was like I'll go to college because I'm I can <laughs> and I'm into that and where'd and, you go to school I went to sc and I went to school in the Midwest in Did Minneapolis. You? I went, yeah. Where? Um, it's called um, McAllister. Okay. So. What was your degree? In? It ended up being music. <laughs> okay, of course. <laughs> but I did, I I initially went there thinking that I would you know just be like a liberal arts student, like study like uh, you know English or something, philosophy or history or, or yeah. philosophy or something like that, and just figure out what what I do I really want to be a musician or is there something else that I actually want to do or, or, you know, what do I want to do? And maybe, you know, maybe I want to just escape my family. Like, is that an answer? And, you know, all of these, all of these things, um, 
were going on in my sort of young young mind and I was you know like again acknowledging like I have the sort of coming from a privileged position where like I can go to a fancy expensive private college and figure this out and I was like well I better take advantage of that opportunity and then I got to school and I basically I was in Minneapolis which in the 80s was like a fantastic music scene and these independent record labels were there and they were amazing and and um, Chicago was not far away with uh, other incredible stuff and all these clubs and little venues and band million bands and so I just immediately got swept into that <laughs> then the next thing I knew it was like changed my major to music because I was in a band and we were on tour. Were you guys trying to get signed? We got signed. We got the whole thing. We got like the, you know, this was before the internet. We would, uh, you know, go to Kinko's and make, like, make the cover of the cassette. And we were playing gigs all the time and the cassettes were selling out at the shows and at all the, the local record stores, of which there were many, because it was a music town. And before we knew it, we had sold... 10,000 cassettes and they were all over the place and then like every label was coming in to see us and we were a buzz band in in uh, Rolling Stone and where are you at in your college degree third year fourth year at this that's point? like by th probably like third year okay so yeah I was like you know my ego in college was was pretty like I mean drummers are known to be like driving Rolls Royces into pools and stuff like that but for me it was like you know I'm happy in the back yeah kind of thing like I was growing into that but it was like I could also walk around and be like oh yeah you're in Rolling Stone and so that you know that was just enough so were you, were you thinking <laughs> like like this is my third year and now I don't need to finish my degree and let me just like go with this wave that I'm experiencing with this band no I mean I've I've I think I put a lot of pressure on myself you know my my world was so uh nurturing to be honest mm my family was always always supportive like when I was in the band with my dad like I was like so nervous at one point that he was he's gonna say like can you can you focus on school and then and then come back to the band like can you just wait two years or something and instead he was like you got to figure it out you got to do what you you need to do and you know your if the band is your passion and if it's going well and if that's really what you want to do you need to figure it out you know and I was like, wow, that's that that to this day is is such wonderful advice. Listen up to the parents out there, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay, so let's pick up the storyline. So after you get your degree, right? You know, you come back to LA. Eventually. And, uh, yeah. Eventually. And then you, you find yourself joining Beck's band not too long after that, right? Yeah, well, I was in my band from college and uh we were signed and we made two records on an indie label and then after two years of slogging it out and it wasn't we didn't quite get to the point where that was really working like a lot of those bands did at the time and and the major labors were still kicking around and they and even though we didn't trust them which we were right um they all said you know you we're not going to change we're not going to try and change you or put any pressure on you we just want to give you a a wider a, a, a wider audience basically like we just want to give you the, the chance because if you're on an indie label they just can't afford to like get you out there as much 
So after two years, we kind of were like, well, let's check it out. But that sort of, you know, happened at the same time as like <clears throat> internal problems, like, you know, probably just normal band stuff. When you've been together for like five years, things start to get a little rocky. And now we're trying to sign to a major label and we all wanted to try shifting out of Minneapolis. We wanted to shake it up and like, let's move out of Minneapolis. And we couldn't decide. We were like, it's either LA or New York. And we couldn't decide which. And then finally I just moved back to LA because my friend, my best friend had a, this like, you know, great house. And I wanted, he was like, I got a room. You got to come here. I was like, cool. See you guys. I'm going to LA now. Mm. And I'll see you. I'll see you there when you figure it out. And then they moved to New York, so the distance became impossible. And then one of the first people I met when I was in LA was Beck. Mm. And so suddenly I'm like hanging out with him, and we're good buddies, and we're also playing. I'm playing drums with him, and started going on little tours with him. And was he I, just getting started at the time, right? Well, or, he or had this before Loser. This is right around the time of Loser. So mm. like Loser was kind of gaining, and then mm. and and then uh, and then um, he could you know play shows. And then his record came out. Did, did you guys have just just that there was this sort of instant sort of chemistry? I, I think, guess I think so. There yeah. was an instant rapport. Yeah, instant chemistry, really cool. and and um, um, and then in the meantime, in the background with my band we were ha you know there's all this distance and like and then i was kind of like waiting there was a main writer in the band and he was kind of you know predictably what would happen in those scenarios is it's 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 often like you you have a little writing slump so he was having a writing slump and things were taking a long time and so i'm like kind of waiting for my band to regroup and did that make your decision easier it, well, suddenly I'm just immersed in Beck. We're just always doing stuff, and I was really enjoying it. Suddenly it was like, you know, do I jump ship and, like, become, you know, my like my new friend who I'm absolutely enamored with, like, um, and enamored with his music and everything. Like, if I go here, it's, I'm leaving my, I'm leaving my, my, like, own thing mm -hmm. that I'm a full member of, and now I'm, now I'm, like going to be working for the, I'm like um, uh, a part-time employee of this guy you know when you break it down in those terms it's really and it's funny how things went I was like well I'll just end up getting in a band mm. like if the if Beck doesn't f turn into a band I'll end up getting into a band that's just how it's going to go and that's just how I'm going to do it and it didn't work like that well interestingly enough I just, <laughs> I just became very, very, very successful as a side musician. So I was like courted by giant bands, but never to be a band member. Hmm. You know, would never. It was never like come. It was not like the Metallica. And I'm not. And I'm not trying to say I feel sorry. It sounds like I feel sorry for myself. I hear that a little bit. I'm like. No, it's just interest, interesting. It's like I, I was like, I'm going to find my own thing eventually. But like what really ended up happening is like I ended up um, getting hired a lot, <laughs> which became my own thing.
eventually. It is your own thing. Well, now it is, and I'm cool <laughs> like, with it. But at the time, I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing my own thing. This but is it, weird. It, it almost sounds like you were just like, you were going down like the the lazy river or something like that, basically. I if think that makes a little, sense, you know. A little bit. I mean, I, I think I got so much out of playing with Beck. I think I it was able to develop my musicianship so much. Playing with him, it felt like we were in a band. But, you know, the re- the reality was that, sure, he liked collaborating, but it was never going to be, hmm. it was never going to, he was never going to be like, cool, you're, or you need to be my permanent drummer or whatever, you know. I mean, uh, there was a lot of talk at the time, like, this is like Crazy Horse. Like, aren't we, aren't, aren't you Neil Young and aren't we Crazy Horse or aren't I, you know? He'd already, like, bent over backwards to get himself to where he was right. by himself. Why would he suddenly be like, you know cool i just met you and and i love playing with you and like n- now like w- with all this stuff that i've taken five years to build up like let's let's like share it <laughs> right it's like ridiculous you right know? um but for me creatively it was so inspiring and exciting because i was on exactly the same page as him which i think was zeitgeist of the time as well it was very timely like he he was fusing a lot of different genres that all made sense together in an odd way. Um, and, you know, people will call that pastiche, which is, he was doing that too. But the thing that was drawing me was that I was like interested in new underground music and old underground music as well, but then also blues and folk and like world music, for lack of a better description. And like, here's this guy who's like, same exact reference points Hmm. and um he's figured out a way to make them all work together and and uh it was very exciting well let's talk about where that goes from there so i know you mentioned you were helping rem well yeah and then after after a certain amount of time in in beck like i was saying before what ended up happening was suddenly like other bands were suddenly like courting me yeah, I was just getting yeah. phone calls. Like, the first one was the Smashing Pumpkins. They had a falling out with their drummer, who was an integral part of the band. Mm. Um, so they were going through drummers. And then suddenly I was, like, being courted and ended up doing a, I guess, playing on... I mean, there's a couple drummers on the record Adore by the Smashing Pumpkins, but, you know, I ended up on a lot of Adore, and... And then, you know, Billy asked me to come on tour. And and what it ended up coming down to was I just started rehearsing with them. And the that band at that time was <clears throat> starting to melt down and the environment was too toxic for me. Mm. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Hmm. <laughs> there was a lot of strife in that camp. So it was like, it was... It's really scary, actually. So I, I just, and then, you know, and it was like, well, we're hiring you to be like a side musician. And even though it was like a massive step up, wh- whatever, in terms of, you know, they're a bigger band. It's a big band. But I just, I was like, this is their last, this is the band's about to break up. And my instinct on that was absolutely correct. That was their last tour. And then I, I ended up joining R.E.M. But again, as a, as a side musician, which was always... An interesting position because I don't know creatively or something for me there was always like the a little bit of a yearning like because I had my original band and it it didn't it's like it didn't work 
or I, it didn't work for me. And I was like always sort of torn a little bit. Like, mm. you know, why didn't I, why didn't I either stick it out or figure out how to um, start another thing or, you know, and, and I think, I think I did try. I, I know I was always trying a little bit. I was never able to, to do it. And looking back, it was like the choices would have basically been do something like quit Beck, not play with R.E.M. and try to do my own thing versus, you know, and I definitely did not have the fire to uh, like look at, like turn away from those things. There, and there was maybe a conversation that went along the lines of like, well, after five years in R.E.M., you'll you know, will make you some kind of a band member. Mm -hmm. So that was, a, that was always something that was important to me, I guess. And then after five years, the, there was a long time off. And in that period, I was spending all my time in the studio and really loving it. And then uh, they called and, and said, okay, we're going to do like an 18-month straight recording and touring, you know, starting in about six months. And are you, you know just want to tell you that's what we're doing. And I said, well, it's been five years and there were, you know, conversations about me being a band member. And if I'm not going to be a band member or get a, some sort of a elevated, elevated status, then, um, it's not, I'm, I'm having too much fun doing my own thing in LA. And, and I, I think I'm just going to fo focus on that because that's where my passion is right now. Um, and and so then they they called back and they said okay let's we'll talk about it and see what happens. So they called back and said, no, we just want to <laughs> hire you again. And and I said okay, I'm really walking away. And I and that was it. It was a great lesson in experience for me and going forward because it was like I was I was definitely firmly putting my foot into the world of being like you know for hire musician and producing stuff and you know being able to do that is very I, I learned was very important and you know as hard of a decision as that was I proved to myself that I could do that hmm. and it was the right decision and so on every level at the time that decision you know beyond like whatever sense of um you know feeling like like oh my god I'm leaving I'm leaving REM. That's like I'm leaving this giant band. That's crazy. Or like I've been with them forever. What are they going to do? I'm like totally putting them in a terrible position. Anytime that I think you're in a situation like that, there's like some version of all of those things, Wh whatever guilt and responsibility and all these things like versus what you really want to do is like sometimes it doesn't let you figure out what you really want to do your guilt and your pride and your loyalty get in the way it clouds the decision making process yeah and, yeah. You're, and you're not able to say like wait a minute like i need to do these things for myself and that's going to be better for everyone if i know what i really want to do like it's like when you're breaking up with a girl it's not you it's me <laughs> I guess be honest, but also be, you know, compassionate. And, and, uh, otherwise you're just never going to talk to that person again. Right. And right. You're, it's always going to be in the, it's always going to be like a ghost in your life. It's like, Oh, I fucked that up. Absolutely. And, and I think I fucked up leaving my first band and it haunted me. Hmm. 
And I think when I left Beck to join REM, I had trouble confronting Beck properly. And then I think with REM, it was like the first time that I was able to, you know, be a little bit more focused in my decision. As stressful as it was, once I knew exactly what my true parameters were, it's like, okay, this is the yes or no situation. I'm working all the time at home, loving it, totally inspired, getting getting everything out of it. And financially, it's actually better than REM. Or... I'm now a member of REM and I have a little bit more responsibility. That would be the only way I could go into REM. And so it was really easy. It was easy. If they say yes, then that's that's cool. If they say no, that's totally fine. I'm happy to stay home and keep doing what I'm doing. So I was, you know, producing little little records and I did there was a while where I was doing music for film and TV. And I was developing that, and I loved the studio thing, and I was kind of going back to my early childhood experiences of seeing these studio drummers and being in the studio, and I was like, you know, for better or for better or worse, you know, this is this is what's clicking, and I'm just going to follow it. So, like, you know, I would turn down, um, like, scoring an indie film because I would be hired to play on a whatever giant record for three weeks and the giant record I was you know that was just more exciting to me and it would be you know like the indie movie would be like I'd have to pay a lot of dues and I was and I already was in the place in my life where I was like wait a minute I don't know if I want to pay these dues (laughs) right now versus like you know go and record with whoever shall remain nameless um and it's you know make a ton of money. It's really fun. You know, all of my drumming creativity is being called upon. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a, you know, situation where everyone's looking to me to bring, bring what I have. And it didn't feel overwhelming at all. My strength is drumming. So I've, I just decided to follow that. Yeah. I've had people on the show that like, there was a poet that came on and she was so good at poetry. Like, you know um like national finals and everything and then she was like trying to learn an instrument you know and it's like when you go from being so amazing at something and getting (laughs) such like you know what i mean yeah adulation and then you're just like okay i'm gonna start over i'm gonna like just go from like you know back to the beginning oh i know it's a tough process it's a tough process yeah yeah yeah, it's and i love it but it was also like i didn't love it enough to like completely abandon like what i was actually really good at yeah so okay so that's yeah that's the path i took then late late in life suddenly like i'm collaborating with my friend and we're trying to do we're we're trying to do a band which which we did it took us a long time but um we did this little band project called ultraista we also ended up in adams for peace we were hanging out with tom and and then I think Tom had the idea of Atoms for Peace. He wanted to do projects all the time. And there's just only so much Radiohead can do. It just right. doesn't work that way. And right. You have to let it breathe sometimes, right? Kind of got to let it yeah. Kind of got to let it breathe. And the way that band is, I think that they, I think Radiohead's more like spend a long time making a record, play like 30 shows or something, and then take a year off. In that year off 
period for Tom, I think he was like, I'm not, I can't be sitting around it, right? This, this time I need to be active and creative. I can't just like mm. not do anything, which is, you know, understandable. Theoretically, we'll probably, you know, maybe the next time there's a, a little, a little breather, we'll do it again. But, uh, you know, it's a slow, it's a slow process. And yeah. We're all have families and are, you know, not, not in our twenties. So. <laughs> I feel like you've said that before. <laughs> um, when you think of a newer band that's just getting started, there's obvious uh-huh. adversity, obviously. There's adversity all over the place. Sure. you got to slug it out. Sure. But for these bigger, more established bands, uh-huh. what would the adversity be for these bigger, more established bands if you had to like name it? Or is it just pretty I, much smooth sailing for? I don't know how to name it. Um <laughs> different i guess mm-hmm. and it, it's such a different level to be um because it's not ad- adversity is definitely the wrong word at that point you know my water's not you know 72 degrees i don't know you know i don't know <laughs> they, they they put these riders online i'm oh, sure you've sure. seen them with like you know i want all green skittles or wh- whatever yeah well i think that's ridiculous you know <laughs> but i th- i think pressure to live up to whatever you've you've done in the past you know there's suddenly you're like if you're a public figure there's just a lot of there's an intense amount of pressure and it takes a certain uh constitution to be able to manage that and and navigate it it's not really adversity because you're like rich and famous but the pressure of trying to do that can be like you know can make people crazy and can lead to terrible you know terrible depression so there's that there's that side of it you know and the you know the exhaustion of the pre- the pressure that come and the, uh, the all of the different levels of pressure that come with that you know suddenly you've created a machine that has a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved who you suddenly are responsible for stuff like that that is very difficult to under- understand and, and to feel you know empathy or compassion for it's impossible to be empathetic towards that because unless you're in that experience Hmm. because it's like it's privileged (laughs) right but but it's very real though that's that you know it's it's not yeah i mean it'd be great to be like well i have everything and i've done it all and so life's easy now um more power to anyone who can do that but like most people are like holy holy shit i'm in a whole new unknown zone and now suddenly like there's all this pressure going on. Now there's a crew that works for the band. And if I stop doing the tours, then I can't hire the crew anymore. And then they don't have jobs anymore. And they're depending they're on... They're depending on... If families... They're, de- they're depending on me. But the problem is, is that no matter how big the tour is, like the bigger the tour gets, the more expensive the tour is. So at what point is it really that self-sustaining? You know, it's like, tr- it's tricky. Hmm. It's tricky. Um and and that but that's just one tiny tiny example i think that's pretty good the like beck not getting no one would book him is that true i thought it, it and no looking the one. outside in it seems like that was just a straightaway no. path to success but yeah everyone always <laughs> thinks that but there was a period where this guy i mean there was five years of this guy's career where he was just trying to figure it out and then got to the point where you know, no clubs would book him, and he stuck to his vision. He stuck to it. He's just like, no, I'm going to stick to this. This is, this is, I'm going to make this work. It's going to get hmm. good. He would hang out at clubs, and he became friends with these bands, 
and they would let him play while they were breaking their equipment down. So after five years of, you know, sleeping on people's couches and doing stuff like that, you know, all he ever heard was, you suck, you suck, you suck. Suddenly, like, being in the media, and the first the first thing that the media says is, like, this guy came out of nowhere, and he's can't be the real thing. This is like a one-hit wonder. And, like, that was the initial thing. And his response to that was complex, you know. He, it was harder for he was a sensitive artist so even though he was able to somehow persevere through like club bookers saying you suck you suck you suck yeah the media is just going like you suck you suck you're you're not the real thing he was like wow this is harsh this is really hard <laughs> and then like how are you supposed to continue it's like oh i worked so hard for 5 years and I got it. This is amazing. I'm going to I'm going to pop the champagne now and then the first thing you get is like you'll never, you know, you, you've score, made it this man. far but you're not going to make it because we just want to make fun of you and doubt you. Oh my god. <laughs> so now I know you're doing um you said Roger Waters you're drumming on that right now. Yeah. Right. So how did that, you know, gig come about? That's a pretty cool gig. Just, did you just get a phone call? My buddy who we did um Ultra Easter with and Adams for Peace, Nigel is producing uh, Roger, so he, you know, basically like, oh, dude, we gotta, we gotta work with Roger. It's gonna be cool, and it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll do a quick lightning round. Ready? Talk to us about, you know, having a a, a four year old now, right? You know, the, the balance, you know, between getting out on the road and you know having a family. Oh yeah. That's... Well, it for me, it's like, just don't tour that much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love playing a little bit, but um, just a little bit. You want to be there for all those moments, though, right? I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. I like being there. And I mean, I might be insanely busy sometimes, but I generally like my schedule's pretty like things don't usually start until noon. So I can hang out in the mornings a lot and and I can be around a lot. If I do go on a long tour, it's going to have to be cushy enough for my family to be there which is cool but i but you know i've been playing with beck so and he doesn't really love to go out that much so it works perfectly (laughs) (laughs) nice yeah and we have a great time we're old you know obviously we're dear old friends so that's awesome yeah what do you think a common self-inflicted hurdle is that trips up a lot of aspiring artists just being around a lot of aspiring artists i think i just figured it out i mean the ego battle like because your ego is gonna probably like run you off the cliff. Your ego's not your amigo. I don't <laughs> think so. I'm. I'm feeling like it's. I mean, it's gonna. That's if without being like a total narcissist, there's no way you're gonna like front a band or or be an yeah, actor there, or something there, like there's that. There's a weird dichotomy there, isn't it? Because you need it, but it can like you know destroy you at the same time. But within that, you have to be able to somehow like you know, make the right decisions um, that are, you know, that are going to further what you want to do. And um, I just feel like I see when people are kind of, kind of like able to um, focus on what they want to, what they really want to do, it seems like those are the people who end up being really successful. And that cuts both ways. It can be people who are like, well, I'm more, I'm more like artsy fartsy and I'm just going to, be you know i'm gonna have a little niche and they do it and they survive 
you know, and other people who are like, well, you know what, I might, I have all the ability, I have as much ability as the, as the next best, like, person who's doing what I'm doing. Talent-wise, right? Talent-wise, like, I'm just as good of a keyboard player, I'm the best keyboard player, probably, Mm -hmm. alive, as good as the best. But what I really want to do is fucking pop music, and Mm. I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket, because that's what I like. And then those are the ones that I know anyway. That's the ex- that they end up doing it. The problem is it can't be about money. <laughs> don't let th- don't let that make the decision for you. You're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's the the tricky balance. It's like you have to look beyond the money mm-hmm. side of it, and and that's that's what's going to trip us all up. And <laughs> there's no way around it because you need money to, to survive. Live. Yeah, that's right. And in this day and age, like you know. If you're an artist, there's like a lot of a lot riding on, you know, even your reputation riding on like how much money you're making. So and what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, Trust your instincts and believe in yourself. Figure out what you really want to do. Believe in it and don't don't follow what you think you have to do and use your head to figure out how to follow what your heart is telling you to do it's been a great interview right on dude yeah thank you man thank you that's fun see you guys next episode cheers